Let's flip the switch and uh, let her rip, Tater Chip. It is the midday program on the Rural Radio Network. Is anyone going? How, how that show? Is any? What I need to do is go to uh, Jason Jorgensen and have him sing the great Charlie Pride hit for us here. Is anyone? Anybody going to San Antonio? Yeah, could you do that for us? Uh, not not just, doing it today. No. See, I challenged him yesterday at, at the staff meeting because he does all of this. I, you may not know this about Jason Jorgensen. He is a multifaceted individual, and he has killer impressions. Of just certain people, not everyone. Charlie Pride is not one of them. Uh, no. Is anybody going to, to San Antonio or Phoenix, Arizona? We've been everywhere, and now Susan fills in that gap and uh, is reporting to us today from San Antonio. How are you, Susan? I am great. It's beautiful weather. I plan to package it up and take it back with me to Nebraska. So I was looking at what the weather forecast is on Sunday when I come back. Yeah. And I'm bringing 70s back with me if I can. <laughs> All right. You, you trust us. We will take every degree that you can pack into your suitcase. We have some serious uh, news that we need to get to, and you have checked in on some congressional delegations. I have. I, I haven't heard back from... Um, Smith or Bacon's office yet, Congressman's, but I did hear from Congressman Jeff Fortenberry's office, and he and his family are safe on the uh, train, a little shook up, but they are safe. And we'll keep updated as we find out more information. Of course, our thoughts and prayers go out to the one loss of life that, from what we understand from national outlets, it was not somebody on the train. Yeah, that apparently, again, if you're just joining us, is a train which was carrying uh, members and families of the congressional Republican congressional delegation in Virginia going to a Republican retreat was in collision with a large truck today. And uh, so we'll be following that up. We also have found out that Representative Marshall and his family are okay, Susan. So you have that information. Wonderful. Lots of uh, things going on. Bruce Gorder catches up with Emily Score. She is the CEO of Growth Energy on East. 15 growth and some challenges that they are going to see within the industry. Then at 1245, speaking of Congressman Fortenberry, he will be joining me to talk more about trade, the farm bill, and the importance of health care in rural America. Chabella Guzman, Nebraska Sheep and Goat Association, had a lamb and kidding event this last weekend. So she is going to bring us up to date on what it means for sheep and goat producers. How appropriate with me at the American Sheep Industry convention in san antonio absolutely all right we'll listen for all those reports susan thank you thank J you jason jorgensen is here with sports chiefs have uh, lined up a big deal in nfl they're shipping alex smith to the redskins so patrick mahomes will be their starter in year two we'll touch on that rob gronkowski hopes he can play in the super bowl mm -hmm. on sunday and a nice honor was bestowed upon former kansas or kansas native jerry killed former right. coach of minnesota looks like uh, gronk has outlasted his concussion protocol Bob, what do you have in business? Earnings drive gains for U.S. stocks. Uh, Boeing jumping 6% today, and as they say, as Boeing is going, so goes the rest of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Leave it on a jet plane. And here we go. Take this big bird off. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Today our ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And it is Paul Perkins who steps in to take us through what's expected to be our, I guess, just a slight chance of precipitation the next couple of days. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Nothing too much over the weekend. Some periods of light snow and at most some light accumulations of some fluffy snow. A little bit of light snow right now over 
North Central Nebraska, some of that activity mainly in western Cherry County and also towards about O'Neill to Burwell, but that's gradually sliding towards the east and maybe a little to the southeast. Today, slightly cooler behind the passage of a Pacific cold front. Our temperatures right now pretty much in the mid to upper 30s. We do have some low 40s over western Kansas and also into the southern part of Kansas where there's a little bit less cloud cover. That cloud cover will increase with the approach of another front. That's going to be an Arctic front that's dropped south for tonight with some much colder air for tomorrow. A disturbance behind that front increasing the chance at some light snow. Looks like our best chance is going to be the farther west you go. That front moves north as a warm front. And that'll return the milder air for Friday. It's going to be up and down over the next several days. Quite a few times here we're going to go up and down. That Arctic front will track back to the south for Saturday and cold air will stick around through the weekend. Disturbances lacking moisture will drop to the south to bring some off and on chances of light snow. It's not a system coming out of the desert southwest like we usually get with a, a pretty big storm system. These will be coming out of the north, and so we'll just see some light chances of snow since they won't have a lot of moisture. Our best chance of seeing some accumulating snow comes up late Saturday night into Sunday morning when it'll be real cold, and we could see some fluffy snow accumulate to about 1 to 2 inches. That front will continue to fishtail north and south, and that will continue our up and down temperatures and chances of light snow for early next week, including an upswing in those temperatures as we head towards Monday. In our long-term forecast, there's a change to cooler weather from yesterday's outlook of milder weather in the long-term forecast. Our temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas expected to be more seasonal or near normal the middle of next week, then cool to below normal late next week through February 13th. Our precipitation forecast in Nebraska expects near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Tuesday through February 13th. The Kansas precipitation outlook expecting near normal to below normal. Weather factors affecting the markets include uncertain rain chances in central Argentina and consistent rain for central Brazil through the end of the week. Two strong surges of cold air will affect the plains to the east coast. That first push of cold air will engulf much of the plains in Midwest by tomorrow. The second cold blast will arrive during the weekend. The southern plains wheat areas may see a little snow this next week. The snow, though, will not ease their drought situation. Oklahoma's topsoil moisture right now rated 93% very short to short. Kansas topsoil moisture, 79% very short to short. No damaging cold, though, expected. In central Argentina, the decreasing soil moisture increasing the stress to filling corn and soybeans. A cold front Sunday or Monday may lead to some rain in Santa Fe. With hot weather preceding that rain, though, the dryness situation not likely to change month. The dry weather likely reducing the yield potential in Argentina. Just how much will depend on how long the dry and hot weather will last. In central Brazil, more consistent rain will fall through the weekend. That's unfavorable for their maturing soybeans and harvest. Crop weather in southern Brazil currently favorable. It's turning drier, though, and that could lead to possible stress from late-season dryness. Ag information brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, and I guess we could just term this the double Arctic blast coming on here. Sounds like a tasty treat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah, like most people, I'm like most people, I prefer my blizzards from Dairy Queen, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not going to be a blizzard, but just some tastes of cold weather, but then it's going to be followed by uh, the next day or so by some warmer weather, and then more cold weather will move in. Oh, so boy. Okay. Up and down we will go the next several days. Get better. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. While pork processors get the thumbs up to process more hogs, 
chicken processors get the thumbs down on increased production. The USDA and FDA start a new joint partnership, and the governor of Iowa stresses that there is middle ground for NAFTA. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. The USDA recently announced that after a five-year pilot program, hog processing plants could increase production nearly 17%. The National Chicken Council applied for a similar increase in production for poultry plants, but the USDA has denied the request. The agency says it does plan to let some chicken plants speed up. USDA's Food and Safety Inspection Service says the chicken industry group's September 1 petition to eliminate speed limits in chicken plants didn't demonstrate that inspectors could effectively check each carcass for safety at speeds beyond 175 birds a minute, nearly three chickens per second. But the Food Safety and Inspection Service said that the agency plans to lay out criteria for poultry plants, most of which are limited to processing 140 chickens a minute to run at speeds up to 175 chickens per minute, as long as they demonstrate how they'll assess food safety and meet other important criteria. In support of the USDA's decision, the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, which represents meat plant employees, claims it as a victory, saying that it could make food less safe and pose risks to meat plant workers who already deal with higher rates of injury than other industries. The union says it remains concerned that the USDA plans to let some chicken plants apply to run processing lines at speeds up to 175 birds a minute. In other food safety news, the USDA and FDA chart a formal course to boost cooperation between the two agencies when it comes to food safety, as well as streamlining oversight of the nation's food system. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue and FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb agreed at the White House to better coordinate activities like inspections of food plants, which can be regulated by both agencies. The agreement tasks both government organizations with identifying ways to streamline regulation and reduce inspection inefficiencies. The USDA and FDA said this can reduce costs of industry and free government resources to better target efforts of areas of risk. In particular, the agencies are stepping up coordination on produce safety. As the latest round of NAFTA negotiations have come to a close, it appears that all three countries may be starting to dive into the tough issues. Still many close to the situation say they are far from an agreement. This is stirring up a lot of discussion in Washington and around the country in regards to NAFTA. Some want it replaced, others want it left as it is, and some, like Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, want it adjusted. Bruce Gorder has more. Recently, Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa spoke at the Renewable Fuels Summit in Des Moines, and she stressed the need for an improved North American free trade agreement. Rural Iowa, while home to many family farms, it also serves as a pathway to global trade. And in Iowa, one in three farm acres are planted for exports. Enhancing and maintaining trade relationships are crucial to a healthy economy. And that's why I've met and will continue to meet with not only this administration, but cabinet members at every level to underscore the importance of modernizing NAFTA and not withdrawing. Our goal is to ensure Iowa's high-quality products continue to move across borders and around the world. Comments from Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Thank you, Bruce. More often than not, the answer does not lie in the black or white, but in the gray area in between. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Emily Score is the CEO of Growth Energy, a Washington, D.C. advocacy group promoting renewable fuels. 
She was the keynote speaker at this year's Renewable Fuels Summit in Des Moines. I caught up with her at the summit, and she told me they are excited by the growth in E15 countrywide. 29 states are offering E15, over 1,300 locations, and we're talking about not only Iowa and, and Minnesota, but you can get it now in Texas and Florida and Chicago and Pennsylvania. And it just speaks to the fact that while this fuel may be made in the Midwest, the value speaks to every consumer around the country. And NASCAR continues to use E15, and that's probably some of the best advertising you can get. If, it's, if NASCAR uses it, it's good for NASCAR. They don't do anything on a charity basis. You're absolutely right. Um, and I've spent a lot of time talking to the drivers and the people who are building the engines for the drivers. They love this fuel. It's cleaner. Uh, it's got high octane, so it's great for their engine. And it's a wonderful testament. I mean, E15 should be fueling Sunday drives everywhere, not just on the racetrack. But the fact that it's used by the elites by the, the auto enthusiasts, that should be very comforting to consumers like me. If it's good enough for them, it's absolutely good enough for me. Talk about the export market. That continues to grow also on the ethanol side and the DDG side. It's so exciting. We shattered our global exports record in 2017. Uh, for ethanol, we exported around 1.3 billion gallons. The year before, it was about 1.06. And so we've got a lot of momentum, and what you're seeing is, just like in the U.S., when consumers have the, the chance to, to access the E15, globally, audiences and countries understand that ethanol is good for their domestic goals, whether it's clean air, clean water, cheap gas for their constituents, building out their rural infrastructure uh, and, and economy. More and more countries are opening their doors to ethanol and biofuels because they understand the benefits for their consumers. Where do you see the export market growing? Is it China? Is it the Far East? All of the above. I mean, China has indicated that they want to move to an E10, which would be a huge volume in terms of ethanol to meet that. Japan is, is uh, opening up to ethanol. Mexico opened its doors to, to biofuels last year. Canada is looking to do even more in terms of setting their standards higher for blending. So the, and and in, the, in the Far East as well, there's just a lot of opportunity. Now we have headwinds too because we are the cheapest octane on the planet. So Brazil and China uh, and Peru is looking at some protective barriers. Uh, that really just insulate their domestic producers. So we're, we're challenging those. We want free market. We very much believe in that. But uh, a lot of momentum on the global export side of the equation. It's not all rosy out there. There's still some challenges. Talk about those challenges. Well, I mean, for us, it's, I don't want to say we're a victim of our own success, but if you look at the challenges that we face, it is because we are so successful. As we grow our market share, somebody else is losing their market share domestically and that's what's happening with the gas tank and so you have a, a, a kind of a surge I think in the political pushback on things like the renewable fuel standard a surge in pushback on things like getting a read vapor pressure waiver passed for E15 so it can be sold year-round uh, and that's really because as we get a greater share of the gas tank the oil refiners are we're going to be taking that that business away from them so it's we have a lot of momentum and a lot of mo uh, good opportunities, but we also have some tough fights ahead of us as well. That's Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. 
It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports. Jason Jorgensen on hand. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Alex Smith's days as a starting quarterback in Kansas City are over. The Chiefs have reportedly agreed to trade the veteran to Washington, a move that spells the end of Kirk Cousins' run with the Redskins and hands the Chiefs' job to Patrick Mahomes. Now, this transaction can't be worked out until the start of the new league year in March. Smith, who turns 34 in May, had spent the past five seasons with the Chiefs, leading them to the postseason four times while throwing for 102 touchdowns and 33 interceptions. He carries a $17 million salary cap hit for 2018. Patriot star tied in Rob Gronkowski says he expects to play in Sunday's Super Bowl against the Eagles. Now, he has been in the league's concussion protocol after taking that hit in the AFC title game against Jacksonville. Made his first public appearance last night at the Mall of America, and he's hopeful he will be cleared. Hopefully by tomorrow. I mean, we'll see how it goes and uh, what the doctors say. I mean, I'm not the guy to say, oh, I'm out of the protocol. That's the doctor's calls. And uh, hopefully that uh, it's very, very soon. That would certainly be a big plus for the Patriots if they could get him back. Fox and the NFL have agreed to a five-year deal for Thursday night football games. Now, those games previously were televised by CBS and NBC, two of the league's other network partners. But Fox says it will televise 11 games between weeks 4 and 15 with simulcasts on NFL Network and Fox Deportes. Fox, which has the Sunday afternoon NFL package, will produce all of those games as well. Defending regular season champion Emporia State has been picked to finish first again this year in the MIAA baseball coaches preseason poll. The Hornets received 11 first place votes with Central Missouri and Missouri Western also receiving one first place vote. UNK is predicted to finish 12th while Fort Hay State is predicted to finish 13th. And the UNK softball team has been picked 13th in the MIAA preseason coaches poll. Central Oklahoma is the overwhelming favorite with Missouri Western picked second. And former Southern Illinois football coach and Kansas native Jerry Kill is returning as an ambassador to the Carbondale University. School officials made the announcement today saying Kill's appointment as special assistant to the chancellor will start in mid-March. Kill retired from coaching last year because of seizures caused by his epilepsy. He spent last season as the offensive coordinator at Rutgers. Kill was at Southern Illinois from 2001 to 2007, leading the Salukis to three straight Gateway Conference titles. He also coached at Northern Illinois and Minnesota and was named the 2014 Big Ten Coach of the Year. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chance of flurries tonight after 3 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low of around 22. For Thursday, a chance of flurries again, mostly cloudy high, near only 28. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Hearings continue this week on bills aimed at changing the state's tax structure. Up for hearing Wednesday afternoon is Governor Pete Ricketts, LB 947. Ricketts talked to the Rural Radio Network reporter Bryce Duskett during a live Facebook feed about his bill, which was introduced by Jim Smith of Papillion. And that is, so the way this bill is working is that we are restructuring our existing tax credits into two new programs, one for agriculture, one for homeowners, that will take our existing tax credits and turn it into a new tax credit based upon state taxes. And what that allows us to do is focus those dollars on Nebraskans. So, for example, under the current plan, uh, if you're a big out-of-state landowner, you get those tax credits. You get those dollars from Nebraska taxpayers. Under the new plan, we can focus those just on Nebraskans. And by doing that, we think we get about 14% more dollars to, say, 
Nebraska farmers and ranchers, and about 6% more to Nebraska homeowners. Governor Ricketts measure would address property taxes by restructuring the existing $224 million property tax credit program rather than have the credit subtracted from a property tax bill. Homeowners and agricultural landowners would get refundable income tax credits worth about 10% of property taxes paid. The bill includes a trigger mechanism that would increase the credits if state tax revenues grow. The Nebraska Rural Radio Network is hosting its fourth Rural Radio Forum on Tuesday, February 6th from 3 to 4 Central Time. The topic will be on property taxes, particularly concerning ag land. The hour-long program will spotlight the three major proposals in the legislature and address the issue with interviews of each sponsoring senator. Studio guests will include University of Nebraska Lincoln Ag Economist Brad Lubin and Extension Ag Economist Jim Jansen. Senator Matt Williams of Gothenburg says there are also some issues waiting in the wings in the legislature. We, we will be looking at measures on a constitutional amendment to um, do Medicaid expansion. We'll, we'll be talking about that at some point. We have some various gun legislation, uh, corrective action for uh, the corrections department on some things. And again, we're faced with a significant discussion that we will have as a state on our policy on uh, medical marijuana. So I think those are some of the other highlight issues. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Downloaded free at the App Store or on Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Ag producers are not a group to sit and wait for the next big thing in production to come to them. In fact, many agriculturists are quite diversified in their operations. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Nebraska has seen a surge in interest in lamb and goats, and to help the new and even-seasoned producers along, the Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers Association and Nebraska Extension held a lambing and kidding school this past weekend in North Platte. The more than 75 producers visited the Kelly Bruns family farm, where they had some hands-on training and talks about lambing and kidding. Some of the producers in attendance had small numbers of goats and sheep for 4-H or other hobby crafts, but there were some with larger herds or those ready to take the next step in building their herds. Randy Saner, Nebraska Extension educator, says, Like any livestock, what you feed your herd can make a difference. And basically, you know, it's just like anything else. It's uh, the feed sources you feed. If you're trying to dry lot them and feed them green all the time and really high-priced hay, um, you're probably not going to make money. But if you're using them to graze forages that are out there, pasture, and then, and then use some other, maybe some corn stalks in the fall, things that are reasonable, and then add a little bit of supplement, you can you can do them fairly, fairly low cost and you can make some money. I mean, the... The budget, I think, showed $32 uh, per year profit, the one I just did. so, and it, and it varies a little by states. I've got several different states to show people. And then, of course, it depends on the producer. Each producer is going to be different depending on what they're spending and what kind of program they have as far as nutrition. Sander says there is one way to boost your bottom line. Well, and in both goats and lambs, if you can get multiple births, that's going to make you much more profitable because... 
um, you, you just have less total fee because the, the, really the unit is that you or that dough. And if you get two babies out of versus one, you have you split that cost. So you know you can do some things like flushing and stuff to kind of in, in, improve ovulation rate, and then just keep them in the right condition. You know you don't want them too fat, but you don't want them too thin either. And so just some things by nutrition and flushing, you can increase ovulation rate in both does and and use, and it works pretty well. So you get a higher percentage of twins and triplets. Saner says twins or triplets can present their own challenges. He says not everyone is comfortable with triplets. Well, sometimes triplets are fairly small and they're a little harder to raise because they're, you know, they're a little weaker. But in, in, in we see more triplets in twins and goats probably than we do sheep, even though sheep will do quite a few tw- twins also. But goats tend to have more triplets. And my, a lot of my producers said they'd rather just have twins and not triplets because it's hard to get that third one alive, but then there's some does that'll raise them just fine. But it's it's because there's just limited space in there. Doe has to, or that U has to put a lot of feed into it. They got three versus two. And again, if they just got one, then really that doe don't need as much feed as the one that has two babies. So if you can split them off and not feed them as much, you're better off. That doesn't always work. But Once ag producers decide on whether to pursue lambs or goats, and a few or many for their operations, Dr. Brian Vanderlei, veterinarian epidemiologist with Great Plains Veterinarian Educational Center, says there are some things producers need to get ready for lambing. How you get ready for lambing and kidding, and that starts with really good nutrition from the time that you you initiate breeding through gestation, because that sets the dough up to be healthy and produce good colostrum, which is the the first and most critical step to success in in a lamb or kid's life that will help producers be ready to help assist a a doe or a ewe that's having difficulty giving birth. Disinfectants and lubricants and and gloves and, and some of the equipment they might need that will make it easier for them to respond quickly and, and efficiently to those problems and hopefully have really good outcomes. Vanderlei says it's important to always wear gloves and not just for the hands but ones that go all the way up to the shoulder. There's two reasons to wear gloves. Number one is that it protects the, the sheep or the goat. Uh, our skin is covered with bacteria and we those, those bacteria will cause infections in sheep and goats and after uh, during birth and after birth their, their organs are very susceptible to infections and we're going to give them an infection with the bacteria that are on our that's on our skin. Even more importantly, sheep and goats shed especially bacteria but some viruses that will cause illness in people. And we want to be very careful to keep ourselves healthy and one of the ways we can do that is to make sure we're we're being very careful about wearing gloves and then disposing of those gloves and washing our hands when we're done so that we don't get those those illnesses from the sheep and goats. Finally, lambs will also need medicines from time to time, which can be a bit of a challenge. Vanderlei says since lambs are not a major player in the U.S. line of production, they don't have specific medicines labeled for just them. Instead, they have the Animal Medicinal Drug and Clarification Use Act, or MDUCA. That gives us some guidelines that we follow when we use drugs off-label, or extra-label is what it's called. So we can do that in many cases. That is limited to a veterinarian, a producer cannot legally decide to use a drug off-label. And starting last year, about the 1st of January in 2017, the FDA um, began enforcing a veterinary feed directive rule, which basically means that you need a prescription now to feed many of these medicated feed products to animals. So what we used, you know, what some producers used to be able to kind of skirt, now is no, like, you can't do that anymore because they're watching. 
Vanderlei says it can be a complicated process, but it is the best they have right now. For more information on lambs and goats, visit nebraskasheepandgoat.org or contact your local extension. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shabella Guzman. Next, we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities about livestock futures trade. Joe? Yeah, kind of a uh, down day, really, uh, in livestock today. Uh, cattle uh, under some uh, some pressure uh, right from the get-go. Didn't uh, didn't really ever uh, mount much of a, uh, a serious rally at all during the day. And uh, we finished lower uh, with uh, some triple-digit losses, uh, particularly over in the feeder cattle. Uh, but uh, after yesterday, we had some... Uh, some trade yesterday, very, it was fairly light, but it was a little better than I anticipated. And then the bids dropped, and today haven't heard of any trade whatsoever. So that really put some pressure on. The cutouts were a little bit higher, volume in the boxes on the light side, but uh, uh, that didn't seem to have uh, any effect on the market. We just stayed under pressure uh, throughout the uh, remainder of the day. Over in the hogs, uh, cash uh, pretty firm today. Uh, that helped the uh, February, but uh, the rest of the contracts, boy, they just uh, couldn't get anything going, and they finished lower. Uh, I think there's some anticipation that, uh, looking back at historically, uh, uh, we haven't done very well uh, uh, after uh, after the month of February, and so I think that uh, kind of played a role. So his, history uh, kind of repeating, playing. Uh, uh, a repeating role in the uh, in the hog futures today. Cutouts were higher there too, but uh, uh, not a moderate test of uh, the product. So, uh, all in all, uh, just ends up being a, a down day. Do have a cattle inventory report out at two o'clock? Right. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. From a State of the Union address to the halls of Congress trade continues to be talked about. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. National Farmers Union President Roger Johnson said after the State of the Union address that agriculture is looking to President Trump to deliver on his promise to fix the nation's failed free trade agreement framework and crumbling rural infrastructure. I spoke with Nebraska Congressman Jeff Fortenberry about trade and the discussion he's had. With about 25 members of Congress, uh, recently at the Mexican Embassy with the Canadian Ambassador as well to talk about the dynamics of trade. Um, trade that is fair and effective helps both peoples uh, in, to our south, to our north, and to us. Trade that is manipulated actually can become decimating to certain sectors of our economy and you've seen that with the manufacturing sector particularly. Uh, farmers in Nebraska have uh, know the importance of enhanced marketability for our products through trade, and yet at the same time are very sympathetic to making sure that this is also fair. And by the president calling for a reset, I think it's creating the conditions in which we can renegotiate certain aspects of it to make it more imbalanced, and yet at the same time preserve the heart of the idea of, again, fair and effective trade that is beneficial to all peoples. That was actually the spirit of the conversation as well with the Mexicans and the Canadians uh, about a month ago. Uh, I know the president spoke at length to the Farm Bureau Convention 
Uh, I didn't hear the fullness of his speech, but I assume he touched on that, and I assume that's where your comments are coming from, that there mm-hmm. appears to be a softening. Well, rural broadband and the need to continue to expand and get some good qualified broadband out there to continue to grow rural America. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very important point, particularly in terms of 21st century architecture of economic regeneration and ensuring that rural communities are not left behind. Uh, one of the great equalizers out there is the Internet, and but you have to have access to it and competition for it as well so that you don't have monopolistic control over it. Uh, one of the things that we, I would like to add, though, that I'm hopeful we can think through creatively is not just policies that fit the traditional debate about farm country and what we do with trade or broadband. What, it's, it's the issue of net farm income, and one of the biggest hits on net farm income right now is the lack of access to affordable health care. I hear it all the time. It's not just among the farm community, but particularly among small businesses, but the inability for a farmer and the family to have good, affordable health care that's necessarily protective is a serious strain on their revenue. If we want to revive our economy, if we want to have a revival of entrepreneurial momentum, it's this issue of affordability of health care that it's one of the biggest drains. And by the way, I did a farm survey recently and uh, tried to touch everybody in the district who is involved directly or indirectly with agriculture. And we've got a number of good comments back, uh, but some of which, again, concern the issue of health care and affordability. I'm hopeful that the next farm bill, actually, we can delve into that deeper. And we're actually working on a bipartisan fix for the individual market. And I'm hopeful that the rest of Congress awakens to the harsh reality that this is really needed. Is the Tax Cut and Jobs Act going to be a benefit to rural Nebraska? Yes. It, of course, there's, there's certain controversies with it, but I think overall in the aggregate, this is going to be very helpful to the economy. Uh, so I think on balance, it was the right thing to do. My conversation with Congressman Jeff Fortenberry. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Grain markets today lower. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with... John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. A lot might have to be doing or done with as far as these grain markets positioning at the end of the month. I think it has a lot to do with it. It was a very lackluster day. You know, you look at the open down, but everything kind of came back into the close. Typical price action we've seen in the last couple of days where KC wheat has let it. Um, did get above $5, made a new high, and then kind of just settled out here at 496 Nothing's really changed, and I don't expect you'll see the weather change in the next two weeks. You know, and in reality right now, in a market like that, you're trading forecasts. It makes it very difficult. As soon as you know, they see uh, an increased chance of rain or snow on the western plains, uh, I'm sure the market will, will take away some of this premium. Um, but... You know, it's a tough thing for these producers down there to do any marketing of new crop. It's just no clue what you're growing. And, and to be very honest, not a lot of new crop planted. So it's uh, a big uncertainty here. And as we get into the WASDE report that will come out, I think not next week, the week after, um, we'll get uh, we'll get some clarity on what that looks like as well. John, John, the near-term corn trend might be a little bit bullish because we've had you know, closes over a 20, 40, and 100-day moving average. For months we talked 350. Now front month 360, don't we? Yeah, 360. I expect to run maybe as high as 370 here. 369 uh, would be kind of a target I'd have in here. Uh, 377 for the May. You know, if you're looking to 
to, to do some scoring, you don't need the money, but you want to want to try to kind of hedge some risk here. You look out on those deferreds, and I'm going to kind of harp on that here as we we move into the late spring. Is you know if you don't need to sell, but you want to take some off the table, don't uh, you know don't have to look in that front month. 377 looks like a pretty good place in the in the May contracts to be looking uh, to make some sales and. You know, beyond that, it'll be about whether this Argentinian story is real. Um, you know, they get they got a little bit of rain last night in the northwestern part of the country, but that one doesn't produce as much of, of the corn uh, as, as it does in the southern southeast. And they're looking at, I think it's about 110 down there today, and not a lot of rain for the next two weeks. So, uh, with the USDA report there, I expect the USDA to to follow some of the private analysts and write down the uh, Argentinian corn crop and possibly the soy, the soybean crop. So, uh, I think those two markets, corn and beans, here could catch a move uh, combined. With with the fact that we're going to have a cattle report out here shortly uh, that's going to show we're probably one, one and a half percent uh, higher than a year ago as far as total cattle on feed, throwing higher hog numbers, higher chicken numbers, and there is a lot of demand out there. Ethanol rallying as well. So I look for production using a corn to, to be strong here through the back half of the year. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.